race fans, it's Taylor, and welcome back to Above the Yellow Line, the show where we talk all about the NASCAR Cup Series. And we kicked off the season with the Daytona 500 last weekend. Pretty exciting stuff. And I'm here with first-time guest of Above the Yellow Line, David Strawn, for the first time. So, David, welcome to the show. And I, you were there at the 500, so we'll talk about that in a minute. But how are you? I'm doing very good. I mean, this is much. I mean, yeah, it was just an amazing experience going to that track. But thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. Well, like I said, we'll get into your at track experience. I'm really curious to hear that because I have my opinions on the broadcast and you probably have your opinions at the track. But for now, are you ready to just recap the Daytona 500? Um, well, I mean, when it came to the first part of the stage, I feel like this, the first part of the stage for the Daytona 500 was at least a bit of exciting because we didn't really get to see, we didn't really see them freight train that much when it came to the actual first stage because they were taking a lot of things at risk. But I think after the crash at the end of the first stage, they started taking things a little bit more safe and you saw them train a lot more up until the end of the second stage. And then when the third stage came, it just broke, it just broke, it just broke loose. Oh yeah, yeah, the, the end of the third stage is something that, I, I mean, first off, for me personally, and we'll get to our ratings a little later, but some of the best racing I've seen at Daytona in a few years, and we had Martin Truex Jr. winning stage one, Martin Truex Jr. winning stage two, and that was a pattern this weekend, even with the truck series and the Xfinity series, but as we know, if you sweep the stages at Daytona, you're not going to win the race. Rookie Austin Sindrick ended up winning the Daytona 500. Ryan Blaney kind of pushed him to victory there, and Bubba Wallace with a really close second. The rest of your top five is Chase Briscoe, Ryan Blaney in fourth, and then five, Eric Almarola. Pretty interesting mix in the top five, but talking about that finish david what did you see at the track i mean what was your reaction first off um well when it came to my actual reaction at the track it was just overall excitement and it was just like awesome racing to see like considering they were going three wide and we didn't we haven't really seen this type of racing in the past couple of years and with obviously this being a new car the nascar next gen car it was a pretty good way to end this first race for daytona 500 but I honestly got to say, I feel for Ryan Blaney because he, he I, I got this, I got to say this. He pushed Austin Cindric to the win and Austin Cindric, we'll, we'll get into that later. Absolutely. And you, you all remember the conversation last year after the Brad and Joey wreck at the 500, Mr. Penske was not happy that teammates took each other out. So I was curious if that kind of played a part in Ryan Blaney's decision to not make any moves. I mean, I think Cindric kind of pinched Blaney into the wall there in the final turn. I don't know if it was intentional, but obviously eyes on the prize. I know Cindric said in an interview post-race, like he didn't regret what he did. Um, but no, that's a loyal teammate right there. So, I mean, if you want a teammate behind you at the Daytona 500, I think Ryan Blaney's your guy. Um, I would at least have to say, um, and then looking at our points, at least for that 500. So this year we're doing race picks for above the line. Again, we did them last season for the playoffs, but we're doing this for the entire year this year. There's four of us that are doing them for the entire season. It's myself, Adam Lucas, Dom Joseph, and Brandon Lowe. It's going to be joining the race picks all season long. So here are how the points shook out. I ended up winning shocker. I, I never really win these things as you guys know from last season, but I got four <laughs> points. I am so bad at race picks and I jinx them all the time, but this year my lineup was just, my lineup was a little too perfect, which is a little scary for the rest of the season, but I came away with four points. Brandon came away with three points with Alex Bowman as his race pick. Dom with two points for Kevin Harvick and Adam with one Denny Hamlin. I think all three of them ended up wrecking during the race. Um, Brad Kozlowski caused the wrecks during the race. So a little bit unfortunate there, 
but let's talk about your track experience. Let's points aside, placements aside. You talked about the racing you saw in stages one, two, and three, but kind of being back at the track and I think a, a sold out crowd at the 500, what was the atmosphere like for that weekend? It was, it was absolutely insane. I mean, I was, I got there for the pre-race ceremony. So I got to see the driver introductions. I got to see the performances by Luke Combs. Um, but yeah, I mean, the crowd was just, the crowd was really hyped for this because I was sitting right there, I think in between the start finish line and turn number one. So I, I got to see a pretty good majority action and yeah, the crowd was definitely up for it. Yeah, I, I wish I was there. I saw just the sea of people. Now, I am jealous you were there for Luke Combs. Luke Combs is one of my favorite singers, so a, a little, really a little bit jealous of you there, but I mean, it is a race that you really wanted to be at. At, at the home side perspective of things, I don't know how much you heard about the broadcast, David, but I kind of coined this the commercial 500. Now, clearly, we need we need sponsors to carry the broadcast to pay for it, and that I understand, um, but a big topic of discussion on the internet during the entirety of the race was the amount of commercials, two of them actually happening in the first two cautions of the day. As soon as they happened, the third one was kind of an advertisement for a um, Bush beer sweepstakes. And it was like a side-by-side -side commercial. They ended up starting it. And that's when I think Tyler Reddick ended up spinning um, in the second stage, third stage. And then they cut it off and they kind of learned from their mistakes. But oh my gosh, the, the commercials need to not stop because we need funding for the sport, but we need something better. And David, I don't know if you had experience with this last year or a frustration with all the commercials last season, as I know this is kind of carried over, but what would you like to see in the future for the broadcasting side of things regarding these commercials? Um, when it comes to the commercial side, even though it does make the sport money, I would love to see a lot more of less type of things. And if I had to really say like, when it comes to like racing in general, I would do it kind of the way that Formula One does their commercials because they really have a few, they really have few commercials because they mostly keep it attention on the racing. And if something were to happen, they cut to they cut the commercial break and head straight back into the race. But yeah, I want I just want to see more, I just want to see less commercials than that than during the races so we could see more on the action. Unless unless it's a train, unless it's a train race, like yeah. they're going single file. See, that's when you want a commercial because we don't want to watch train racing for like what 30 laps, 40 laps. We want to we want to watch all the action and the excitement. And obviously we can't predict when the accidents are going to happen. They just so happen to be perfectly placed when the commercial break would be. But that's one issue I had this weekend. And we're going to talk about some more issues here with the next gen car. Obviously, at the beginning of the season, everyone is preaching patience here. But there are three main issues I think we've seen either consistently or we just noticed this weekend. And when those are tires flips and transaxle issues. The transaxle issues I'm not going to touch on for today, but I want to talk about the flips and the tires. We saw tires go down or tires not stay on the cars too much, too many times for my taste during this 500 race. And um, I wanted to ask you, David, when you saw that on the track, first off, what was your reaction? And second, how do you feel about the single lug nut after we've seen at least two cars totally lose their tires? Um... I honestly got to say when it comes to the single lug nut type of thing, I honestly feel that's on, that's just, that's the machinery that they use because I've honestly, I've watched Formula One before many, I've been a fan of Formula One for many times and I, they use one lug nut and we haven't really seen that many issues when it comes to that. So maybe it's just the type of gun that they use to screw in the tire. But I did not, I did not expect to see that many, to see cautions come from that, that many times because <laughs> 
I believe the first caution came from Kaz Grala losing a tire. And I didn't even notice that until now. And then I think the second caution I saw happened on the front straightaway. I forgot who lost the tire, but it went, it went into the, uh, the, the main part of the tire went into, went into the first part of the straightaway into turn number one. And then the rest of the tire came off later around the back straightaway. Yeah. And it just, it's not a good sight. And we also saw when tires like would go down on the cars, there was no limping it back to pit road. You were stuck. You could not drive the car. And that's probably a downside of the bigger tires is that's a much more, I don't know, like I'm not, I'm not a scientist, but I guess more surface area you got to cover with those tires. So when they're down, you can't really flip them around and it's bad. It's bad. But the the thing I really wanted to touch on here, that is a big concern of mine. At least cars are going to flip. We can't stop cars from flipping, but the ease of which these cars tended to flip on this track. We saw a horrific craft crash with Myatt Snyder in the Xfinity series. Luckily, he is okay. We saw some pretty horrific things in the Cup Series too. Truck Series, I'm, I'm not remembering if cars flipped or not at the moment, but I know the Cup Series, we saw, you know, we saw some scary flips. One with Harrison Burton in particular, and he went out of the car fine. Um, I always say on the show, David, we are not mechanics. We don't know what we're doing when building cars. <laughs> But I mean, flipping is a big issue that NASCAR has wanted to fix. And I don't know what else they can do. But from your perspective at the track, I wanted to ask you kind of the atmosphere when that flip happened, kind of what was the crowd reaction? What was your reaction? Um, And then also kind of the relief of hearing that, you know, the drivers are okay, because I've never been on a track when that's happened. So I was really curious what that kind of felt like. Um, well, the crowd was actually shocked when they came to that because a lot of people weren't expecting the car to go over that easily, and it went over pretty easily. I haven't seen that that easy of a flip in a while at a super speedway track, but being at the track and seeing the crowd just hearing that experience and just being, they were shocked. They were shocked when Harrison Burton flipped over because I did not even expect that too, but I'm, I was very happy to hear that Harrison Burton was okay and that he got to wait, uh, walk, walk away from the crash. Yeah, it was scary. I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what else NASCAR can do to like prevent this, to help this, but I know they're going to be studying in the cars that flipped um, over the weekend and they're going to see what changes that can be made, what safety features. But I think what's pretty incredible is, at least for my Snyder's car that I saw after the crash, was everything that was surrounding him protected him pretty perfectly. That part of the car was not damaged. It was everything around it um, that was pretty not there anymore, non-existent. The engine came and flew from the car. Um, so it's a testament to NASCAR's safety advancements over the years, for sure. There's always more that can be done, but again, we don't know. So I guess we'll see for our next Super Speedway race what that brings. But now it's time to do a new segment here on Above the All Line. I was like, hmm, what, what, can, what can we do to spice up 2022? You know, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to choose an Above the All Line MVP of the Week, talking about winners and losers. Who won this weekend? Who lost this weekend? It doesn't necessarily have to be the winner, Austin Cindric, even though, I mean, he could be a good pick. But it also doesn't have to be the guy that crashed out. It can be either or. So, David, I'm going to throw it to you, starting with the loser of the week. Who really lost out this week? Um, when it came to the loser of this week, I got to give it, and I hate to say this because I'm a big fan of him, but he got his race, he got his race ended early. I'm going to have to say William Byron. Okay. Why? Why William Byron? I just feel like William Byron, yes, he yeah, he has won at Daytona before. And I want to see him do good, but he's in that 24 car. And considering the fact that even Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott, 
And Kyle Larson, the pollster of the race, was like up there. And William Byron just needs to be in the right moments most of these times. And it just seems like he's not in the right moments of these times. So I got there, there's a lot of drivers that had like tough days, but I got to give it to William Byron for the loser of this race. That's not, that's not a bad pick, actually. I was a little disappointed, actually, in William Byron. And even to Alex Bowman, I expected a little more from him just because he was really fast during qualifying. So, but yeah, Hendrick Motorsports as a whole, I was kind of like, man, they all but wrecked out. And Chase Elliott was kind of the lone wolf at the end there. But um, my my losing picks this week, I have two kind of. Um, one would be Stenhouse. My God, he led a good portion of the last kind of stage of the race, word, stage of the race. And he set himself up for a really good finish of the race and unfortunately just kind of got turned out. And for me, that's why he lost out. He was doing so well and then didn't all of a sudden. It was so disappointing. And I feel for his team just because I, I felt like he could have finally kind of pulled something together. My second losing choice for me would be Brad Keselowski. He caused a lot of wrecks this weekend. Don't get me wrong. He did. And maybe, I, I don't know, but like he was so close to the end. Just couldn't get there, um, and I think Chase Briscoe was in front of him on the final lap, and Chase Briscoe couldn't really get linked up to Ryan Blaney, and it all just kind of fell apart there. Um, but yeah, um, Kislowski made enemies, and it didn't seem to play out for him very well there. But now the time has come for our MVP of the week. David, I will let you go first. Who was your above-below-line MVP of the week? My above-line MVP of this week Stage one, stage two, 13th place in the race, Martin Truex Jr. Because I've never seen Martin Truex Jr. do that well on the Super Speedways that much, but he was battling up front a lot of the times during this race and did not get the top 10, but he he was he's definitely my MVP for this race after a 13th place finish. For my MVP, I have to go with this. Might be a little bit of an obvious choice here, but I actually went with Bubba Wallace. I mean, he is so good at these Super Speedways. He led much of stage three, and I just saw maturity from him. There's some blocks that he could have made during the race, but he didn't. And for me, last season, I think he probably would have, and it would have cost him the race, but he showed a lot of patience. He saved his car for when it mattered, and, you know, there were some times where, I mean, I felt like he could have moved. He didn't. Patience. He stuck with Kyle Busch. That shows a lot of trust in his fellow Toyota teammates. And he ended up finishing second in the Great American Race. Obviously, you don't want to finish second more than twice probably in your career at Daytona, knowing you were this close to winning it. And he was so close to winning the Daytona 500. But I think his team has something to be proud of. And so does Bubba Wallace. But now let's close out our recap of the Daytona 500 with our race ratings above or below the yellow line. If you're new here, here is how this works. We have we have a line type of scale. We have 100 and zero. 50 is on the line. If you're on 50% rating this race, that means this race was okay, kind of not middle of the road. Below the yellow line means this race was bad. Above it means it was a good race. Let's start with you, David. You were there at the track, maybe a little bit of a different perspective than us at home. Seeing what you saw, what would you rate this race and why? Um, well, when it came to my experience at the race, I gotta say it was a very good experience. Um, racing, besides the fact that in stage two, they did start training, they started going one by one very much, and I didn't really want to see that, because I wanted to see excitement, but I do understand, considering it's a new car. But overall, I'd probably give this rating probably, I'd probably say 81%. 81. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's just that's just from the fact that it was a new new generation uh, next generation car. We did see some excitement in the first stage and the third stage. The only thing that really brought me brought it down for me was the second stage and seeing that train. But overall, it was a very good race. So yeah, eighty one percent. 
I'm very close to that. I would give it an 80%. This is the best Daytona 500 I have seen in my time as a fan. This is going on seven years, I think. And it's, I'm not a big fan of super speedways, but this was really good in the three wide racing. The three, three wide racing was really good. The side-by-side -side racing in stage three was amazing and it lasted for longer than I thought. So for that reason, I'm going to give the Daytona 500 an 80%. And that's going to wrap up our recap of the Daytona 500. Now let's go into our preview of the next race at Auto Club Speedway, the Wise Power 400, starting with track facts. The track length for Auto Club Speedway is two miles long. The race length is 200 laps or 400 miles. Stage one and stage two are both 65 laps each and the final stage is just five laps more with 70 laps. Now it's time to line up our odds, looking at the driver's stats to see where they stand for this weekend. Now we didn't go to Auto Club Speedway in 2021 due to COVID restrictions in California. So we're gonna skip that year, starting with the last driver to win at this track was Alex Bowman getting his second career victory. The active driver with the most track wins in this track is Kyle Busch with four. The active driver with the best average finish at the track would be Kyle Busch, but Chase Elliott beats him out with a 9.40 finishing position. The team with the most track wins is Hendrick Motorsports with 11. And finally, the manufacturer with the most wins at Auto Club Speedway is Chevrolet with 15. Behind them is Ford with 11, then Toyota with 3. And because practice and qualifying are back, I felt it was only fair to hold off on our race picks until we saw how these drivers did during practice and qualifying. So instead, next week, we're going to supplement it with a new segment called To Watch or To Worry, where we talk about two drivers that we're going to watch this weekend and two drivers that we're a little worried about this weekend. But for now, that is it for this episode of Above the Yellow Line, the show where we talk all about the NASCAR Cup Series. Make sure to watch the race this Sunday at Auto Club Speedway. And again, David, thank you so much for joining this episode of Above Feel Align. For those who want to know where you are outside the show, where can we find you on social media? Um, well, my Instagram is the real DJS official, and my YouTube channel is DJS Sports, so you can find me there. And that's really the most two things that you find me on when it comes to that. Awesome. Well, guys, make sure to follow him there. Also, follow us here at Above Feel Align. We got Twitch, Instagram, Twitter, all those good places to find us and more Above Feel Align content. But before you do that, make sure you like and subscribe to this video. Share this with your friends and family. And guys, thank you so much for watching Above Feel Align. And until next time, we'll see ya. See ya.